Welcome to What's Next in Web3, where we look at the impact of Web3 on all areas of our life. This show is for entrepreneurs, builders, and consumers who want to discover the latest innovations in Web3 and learn where to build next. I'm your host, Brittany, Executive Director of the Stacks Foundation. Stacks makes it possible to build more with Bitcoin. To learn more, check out stacks.co. Each week, we are joined by expert builders in different industries to understand what can be built next. Shows are hosted weekly on Twitter Spaces, so join us live next time by following Stacks on Twitter. Now it's time for the show. Welcome. Uh, This is What's Next in Web3, where we talk to different industries to find out what their impact will be in Web3 going forward. This week, we'll be talking about connectivity, which to me is something that's very overlooked in the industry. How we connect to the internet is one of the most vulnerable places of where our data could get intercepted, it could get censored, it could get blocked. So I wanted to talk to some projects who are thinking about that connectivity as a service and using decentralized technology to improve it. So today we have Element 8, joining us, um, who's building on Stacks, I'll let them introduce themselves, as well as Helium, which is a protocol that's helping make this connectivity possible. So to kick things off, I'd love to have um, our guest from Element 8, I think Jonathan is representing, uh, share a little bit more um, about E8 Internet, what it does, and how it works. Sounds good. Hey, everyone, this is Jonathan Van, uh, co-founder of E8 short for element eight, which is oxygen. Um, It's what we strive to provide connectivity to for all your devices. Uh, We're a next gen ISP and we're expanding nationwide, providing high speed connectivity to residences, predominantly using new fixed wireless technology. Um, We're supported by a lot of the industry innovators. Um, Our CEO, Kevin Grace, previously led M&A at Rise Broadband and then founded Nextlink. And these are both the number one and number three private fixed wireless providers in the US. Um, we were, we've been engaged in decentralized systems since BitTorrent spun up, so early 2000s, kind of been tracking it ever since. And we've been working with, um, I guess, what's now Web3, but then crypto since 2014, more formally, um, whether that was traversing Ethereum, Dash, and, and then now Stacks. Um, as we explored what was possible um, in, with decentralized infrastructure, and I think the, I think the most important um, quick summary is that when we started E8, um, it's the open architectures, edge compute, and then separation of network layers that's really leading to a lot of the new possibilities here. Um, that wasn't really possible even only five years ago. So I think that's one piece that's uh, really important from a timing perspective uh, and taking some of our past experience building ISPs all the way to the internet exchange layer and then all the way up to the consumer stack. That's great. Well, I love that you're Element 8 Oxygen, and then we also have the team here from Helium. (laughs) So if you could uh, introduce yourselves while I see Scott's on here and Joey as well, Uh, but just give us a little intro about what Helium is and how it works. Yeah, I like that we were working our way right across the periodic table here between Oxygen and Helium, although I guess we're the the slightly lighter one. Um, So uh, Scott Siegel from uh, Helium Foundation. Helium started out, actually, I don't know how many folks know this, but, you know, it started out not as a blockchain project. So 
uh, uh, Amir, who is the founder of the original Helium Systems team, which is now Nova Labs, really set out to solve connectivity for what we you know, tend to call Internet of Things or you know, low-power smart devices. Um, but Helium, really from a, a protocol perspective, uh, it's a way to deploy wireless networks, a way to empower folks to actually stand up their own coverage in their local communities, local regions. Uh, network launched on mainnet in 2019. We have around just shy of, I think, 1 million hotspots deployed um, all around the world. Idea that anybody can go and buy a Helium-compatible hotspot from one of a dozen manufacturers. You can put that in you know, roof of your house, a building, you know, and then through some form of backhaul, you're providing wireless coverage to the area around you. Um, then for providing that coverage, you earn tokens, both for proving that you're providing coverage as well as transmitting data. Um, and then, yeah, as far as, you know, certainly, uh, you know, to the foundation, um, we're the nonprofit arm, more the kind of governing steward of the network overall, managing community and governance, um, running ecosystem growth in our grants program. And, uh, you know, obviously Nova, who really has, uh, built the network from day one, a lot of the original core IP. So we actually do have, um, two different teams of core developers working that, but, um, Nova, is the, uh, the venture back side and obviously has the litany of um, top investors who've uh, backed the project since its early days from you know, Union Square Ventures, Multicoin, Kosla, GV, uh, Andreessen. So certainly have a lot of good folks that have been backing and supporting the project from the early days. Yeah, rather than, I guess, doing a big plus one on, on everything Scott said, I'm, I'm Joey. I work at the Helium Foundation also. Um, I've been part of this organization for about a year, but prior to that have been a part of the community uh, doing, you know, everything from deploying gateways and building sensors to trying to, you know, find areas to contribute to the software suite that enables the network to work. So, you know, I'm on it full time now and it's probably a hundred X what I thought it was going to be in terms of like opportunity to build stuff. That's been a lot of fun. I can just say from the E8 side that we have been inspired by the Helium work. So kudos to y'all. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's really exciting to see. So, you know, Element 8, you guys mentioned that you are already building with Stacks. Um, I had some questions from folks. Okay, but isn't Helium built on another chain? You know, isn't it using other uh, decentralized tech, not Stacks? I think for us, we're like, it is a building block that you could use in various applications, whether that's Web3 um, or even Web2. I think the understanding like the underlying chain does not matter as much as being able to leverage the network as a builder and developer. So at Stacks, you know, we offer developers tools to be able to build. And part of these conversations is to open up the eyes of what huge opportunities are out there and how there's already a number of tools that you could use to integrate in your app um, or build services like we're gonna hear about more today that really address big problems. So I was kind of doing a little bit of research. I'd love to hear from you guys on this as well about the market opportunity. You know, I, I was kind of reading like ISP market cap. So internet service provider around 138 billion, which feels like a big number, but I think it's actually <laughs> much larger. I think larger. it's under, yeah. I, guess I would say that would be understated. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think in the so U U.S. alone, it's sure, <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah, I think what we've seen over the past two years is it's only gotten more uh, insatiable, whether that's, I, I think I looked at my own bill and then I'd probably gobble up one terabyte of data a month, which I, which I do think is above average, but um, I think you'll start seeing more and more of that data 
um, necessary. I think generally on the connectivity, um, I mean, we're still early days when we're thinking about Web3 as like its own wedge uh, and distribution layer and, and a new layer to go to the consumer. Um, we think about it very simply that there's about 100 million people in the U.S. that are unserved or underserved with connectivity. That's like a very and you saw like a lot of uh, federal funds go toward this. Um, no doubt, lots of players have kind of w- woken up, and this includes all the legacy players too, to increase that that coverage. Not necessarily Web three, but I think it's the same thing that you see with I think um, I don't, don't want to speak inaccurately, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I think like Dish is interacting with Helium, and you and you start seeing more and more like old legacy saying we need to think of new things because there's insatiable demand, there's insatiable um, capital coming into the sector as well. Uh, and so how do we actually meet that demand when I, and you mentioned like what chain is which and where things go. I think a word that's only become actionable recently over the last 10 years really is convergence is something people have talked about since like the beginning of cable, but more and more as compute um, and like the, the network layers start being kind of separated. Um, you start beginning to be able to make that true. So whether that's, um, stacks itself or other chains you can start thinking about you know the engineers will figure out how to make that work um, but ultimately if the demand will drive it um, we can figure out the technical side of it yeah and i guess as far as um so on our side it's interesting because there is a couple different stories in terms of thinking about the the the, the market and the opportunity um so the the original idea, and I, I mentioned this before, is you know that there was not really a good network, or it wasn't economically viable uh, to stand up networks for smart devices. And I think most people tend to think about um, a lot of the solutions. So if you think about something like your your, your Nest or things at home, where it all run off of Wi-Fi. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, um, whether you're thinking about smart ag, smart city, smart building, all these different uh, kind of buzzwords, where the the network to serve those things either didn't exist or it's inadequate or it's really capital inefficient. Um, so a lot of what Helium was trying to do from the early days was, you know, thinking about building peer-to-peer networks is much more economically efficient because you're deploying into some of these areas where... Um, the return isn't necessarily there for a large carrier, especially around a low power um, devices that are sending, you know, bytes of data as opposed to megabytes and gigabytes. Um, so, you know, LoRaWAN, which is a standard that's a little, not necessarily a household name to most, um, but it is a, a wireless standard that is specifically used for, you know, low power, long range devices. Um, and it's still a relatively young market. I think it's, you know, around, it's like 10 years old or that the LoRa Alliance that we're actually members of, I think they're only about seven or eight years old and that the market size in that is only like, you know, several billion dollars, but um, the opportunity there to build things was kind of a chicken neg of you, you needed a, a viable global contiguous network that could be used and was compatible regardless of which region you were operating in. So there are a number of you know, large network operators, um, you know, the likes of Senate, Actility, um, a lot of these folks that are already roaming onto Helium because it, it's significantly more efficient for them um, rather than building the infrastructure themselves. And it opens up a host of new opportunities. And as we talk to folks that have you know, been in this space for a while, you know, with this, not the crypto side so much as the IoT space, um, 
there is just tons and tons of open space for innovation there to build um, solutions for you know small businesses. I mean, one of my favorite examples that uh, a, a lot of people I've told this to <laughs> so many folks in the Helium community is um, you know a, uh, a say I think it's a salad place that's in New York City, and uh, you know they've been running a bunch of Helium hotspots and providing coverage, but you know, excited to use the network themselves um, for things around kind of tracking temperature of their produce or any sort of inventory that's, you know, supply chain lines in and out. Um, so there's still a lot of exciting stuff that is like yet to be built. And this is just one of those cases of the same way that when you had, um, you know, there was no apps before the app store. Uh, I think we think about it the same way with Helium is there's so much more that can be built for IoT now that the network exists. And, you know, Recently, and, and not to go too far on this, but you know, now that we're supporting multiple types of networks, um, so in addition to LoRaWAN, now getting into the, the cellular side of things, um, I think our view is that the, the future is really going to be a combination of carrier infrastructure plus community infrastructure. And on, on, on the cellular side, you know, that's you're talking about a market of can't remember what the numbers are these days, but it's like hundreds of billions in like kind of overall market there, and the idea that you know, AT&T and Verizon are going to keep investing, you know, I think their numbers these days are like 20, 25 billion in like CapEx around infrastructure on an annual basis. Um, they're, they're looking for more efficiency there. So I think, that, you know, the idea of peer-to-peer -peer networks to solve for roaming for the incumbent carriers, but then also opening up the space for new challengers because there's an open permissionless network available. Um, there's just a lot of exciting potential of what can happen there. So I think with cellular, the use case is a lot more clear, but I know that from our perspective, there's so much, so many cool applications that could be built around smart devices that just we're we're excited to see, and we've been supporting that, some of those through our grant program. But there's definitely a, a lot more to come, I think. Yeah, I wanted to to add to that. I know that um, it, it's going to sound silly, but it a lot of my pat responses are uh, for the future of decentralized IT and what sits on top of it is I talk, I try and talk to the developers. And, and and entrepreneurs who are build who are building the future. So I, I think mm -hmm. of like in web two the equivalent might be like um, Twilio makes their API available that therefore that makes it more developer friendly to to handle messaging and handle GPS locations. Um, there's companies like PubNub that would probably be equivalent. Like there just needs to be a more accessible layer, which I think uh, both we and Helium are thinking through um, making that really easy because it's not going to be us that drives the use cases. There's going to be people that uh, ask for it and developers who want to build on top of it and have that opportunity. Um, I think the, the third, I think, lesson we take also from the last Web2 era is you see the Verizons and others starting to make their 5G technologies available like via AWS or Azure. How do you make that? Because this is like a very technically, logistically challenging industry. But if you're an engineer, I don't want to know. I just want to know that when I write this stuff, that it works when I deploy it um, and it gets me the capability I need. So I think that's usually kind of the, the next step is, is getting that layer to just work, right? As a consumer, I don't really care if I'm roaming or if I'm on LTE or if I'm on T-Mobile. I just care that I can watch my stream. Yeah, that's actually something that, I mean, especially with... <laughs> What's going on in broader crypto markets right now? It's this, you know, return to form and the uh, just Web two mindset of, you know, does it work? Is the user interface simple? Is it intuitive? Uh, are these things actually generating profits and um, 
is, is it going to be sustainable over the long term? So I think the more that we think about this and how do we obscure the blockchain layer where, you know, is, is it available to developers? Uh, is it easily accessible, but also for the end user, you know, you, same way I always say, do you need to know what HTTP is and all the underlying components to use the web? No. So how do we kind of get to that space with the Web3? That's great. You guys both sort of mentioned, you know, this infrastructure being used, some use cases for it. But I'm curious to hear, you know, maybe from the consumer level, you know, what does it look like in the end when people don't see the underlying tech, they're just using it as a service? I think Element 8 has some good uh, use cases there. But then also maybe back down to like the developer side. Uh, you know, I was kind of in doing some research for this, learning about people looking for better control of hardware as a positive benefit. Or um, to your earlier point about the salad company, having just internal data systems that they easily can collect. What are some of the real world things that people are using this infrastructure for today um, at all those different layers? Sure. Yeah. One thing that we're seeing is our, our token gated public Wi-Fi login. So it was it was something that was it, it's kind of like a taking a layer that already exists in most um, endpoint devices. But how do you make that and connect that to the blockchain? Um, we've had enterprises even request how to use it because they're tired of username and password. They just said, I just want to be able to provide uh, this token to my employees, securely log them into our VPN and network. And it would just be a click of a button. They would authenticate with their wallet and they would know that they're an authorized user in this case. Um, so that's like one super simple and secure um, login experience. And I think that's just layer one. I think once you start thinking about permutations of reading a wallet, understanding perhaps some of the uh, maybe applications, the hardware access can look like things um, dedicated connectivity. So I'm, let's say loyalty for connectivity. I'm at a coffee shop. I go there like three times a week. Um, we've all probably tried to do a spaces or a zoom call there. Um, I feel like I deserve a little bit of dedicated bandwidth just because I have some loyalty there and I can actually do work there. Um, you can't really do that today. It just gets equally distributed across your users. I mean, we kind of all understand that when you go to the airport, cell phone slows down we kind of, you it's because it's split across um equally um but you can start actually customizing that experience for your users uh, without necessarily knowing who they are but knowing the characteristics um and i think that's just one small use case but it's something that every consumer can understand quickly yeah i think that uh a lot of the Cases that we see, um, I mean, certainly the as a, as a roaming solution for a lot of network operators is probably one of the biggest things that's kind of um, m moving the needle for us o overall, where, again, their end customers have no idea that they're necessarily roaming into, you know, a, a crypto-powered peer-to-peer wireless network. Um, but some of the things that are, you know, out there right now as far as, um, you know, companies like we've got Barnacle and CodePoint that are using... Um, you know, for package tracking, uh, smart water, water metering solutions, there's like half a dozen of those. Um, company Airly that's doing air quality sensors. Um, I mean, there's a whole litany of these things. Actually, one of my favorite ones is there's a company called Victor. They, they, we always joke, they literally built the better mousetrap. Um, 
because it is again a, a smart device that's typically used in like commercial real estate or um, like residential buildings where you're actually monitoring um, mousetraps. It's you know more efficient and you know it's things that you know Wi-Fi doesn't necessarily uh, or cellular work very well in the basement. It's excellent for lower wind coverage. So um, you're talking about things where it's um, you know not crypto native organizations that are um, you know we've basically built ways of you know how do you acquire data credits, which is our um, thing like almost like a proprietary like stable coin on on the helium network of how you actually can um, run devices over the network. but um, you know a number of these things that are not necessarily like crypto first um, that are using the network, but one of the other ones that I think Joey can speak to a little bit more since he just did a presentation. This is um, Baxus, which is a more of a Web3 native company that uh, actually, Joe, you want to jump in and talk about that one? That's a pretty cool case. Yeah, uh, there's actually like I'm watching a message thread about them right now on my computer. Um, but yeah, Baxus comes from a, a Web3 space. So they're, they're building on Solana. Um, and what they do is they take in... Uh, assets from the community so in this case they're focusing on like whiskey and so a user will send them a, a fancy bottle of whiskey they will bring that in warehouse it uh and then they'll create an nft to sort of show that that's like a real thing and then people can go and trade that and then at any time go and redeem those assets um and the really cool thing is they you know this is a conversation we had a month and a half ago and they're already like off to the races uh using helium to basically secure and uh, prove that the, the actual presence of those assets in their warehouse. Uh, so they're using temperature and humidity tracking to make sure that the casks are, are in good condition. Um, they're talking about doing asset, like small scale asset trackers on every individual asset that they bring in uh, so that people can know sort of, you know, where it's gone, or it's still there. Um, so just that, it turns out to be like a very easy integration in their case. I think we talked about UX a little bit earlier and that's definitely like a really important part of this as well as like the ability just to jump in and use it. You know, we're talking about the, the decentralization side of things. Like nobody had to go and like call somebody to get a contract, to use this stuff. Like they just jumped on, create an account and they were off to, you know, send in packets. Um, uh, uh, God, I can just go on and on and on. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. I'd love to hear more about that. You know, I would love, you know, the the helium use and adoption because you guys offer um, suggested hardware. There's a, a blockchain people can use. There's also developer APIs. So maybe you could just briefly explain, you know, if someone heard this idea and they're like, wow, I want to set up something similar, um, where would they need to get started? Is it just using developer tools or is it also um, getting involved with the hardware side? Yeah, you can kind of go any any approach here. So if you want to do something that uses off-the-shelf hardware, you can totally do that. And it was one of the really smart things that the Helium project did early on, which was, um, you know, initially we set out to, like, build this very proprietary protocol, and we thought we were going to take over the world with it. Um, but then we saw this huge ecosystem of LoRaWAN devices out there. So you can go and Google LoRaWAN and then, like, whatever type of sensor you could imagine, whether it's a, a pH or soil moisture or a door open close sensor or uh, an AI powered camera. Um, and all of those things, you know, are LoRaWAN certified, so they will work on the Helium network. So you can just pick something up off the shelf and start integrating it straight away. 
Um, one of my favorite use cases, it's like a really dumb thing, but it's just a, a temperature humidity sensor that we have out on some land that a friend of mine owns. And we just look at that temperature humidity sensor and decide if we want to go out on the weekend uh, rather than trying to take the guess of whether the the actual forecast in town is anywhere near close to what the actual temperature is going to be. Um, uh, it's, yeah, yeah, these it, devices it, for for people who haven't seen them, like they're less than the I think like the size of your the palm of your hand. Like they're quite small. Um, I, I think maybe some of the temperature sensors or the small ones are. So um, yeah, they're very easy to like sort of maybe purchase and and put up in different places, which I think makes for really interesting use cases, like you said. Yeah, like one of the the fun stories that I like to tell. So like when we're talking about these devices, we're talking about uh, anywhere from fifteen to a hundred dollars, usually depending on like the build and the type of sensor that's attached to it. Um, one of the fun things that we saw happen a while back is one of our vendors, Calchip. Uh, the guy stuck a bunch of asset trackers. So these are like GPS trackers. Um, he stuck them on crab pots because he's out in the San Francisco Bay doing this fishing and leaving crab pots out there. And he got this alert that says my crab pots are moving. And it turns out somebody had stolen his crab pots. And through using the helium <laughs> network with these asset trackers, he was able to go to the Berkeley Marina with Fish and Game and got his crab pots back. And it was just, you know, 50 bucks. And maybe I guess it was 100 bucks if he had like two or three of them on there. Uh, saved him, you know, the, the several hundred of these uh, crab pots and Im super impressed the fish and game person was like, wow, I never knew this existed. Um, so there's just the funniest little things that can happen when you apply this technology to any day use cases. I love that. Uh, you know, people asking like, what's Web3 good for? Well, I think, you know, crab pots, <laughs> it's a silly one but, yeah first thing comes yeah. to mind yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd well, love to hear too from element eight you know what's driving adoption um you guys you know you offer a consumer and product um you are rethinking you know connectivity in, in lots of different ways i'd love to hear you know what types sure. of you know unique uh users <laughs> are using your product or you know what's driving people to sign up yeah i think similar to to the helium kind of found it, the helium like origin story. So we, we have our DNA both in both worlds in a way, you know, what, what helps drive adoption is we're typically putting up our towers and hardware in places where there's underserved and unserved geography. So all the places that people assume Starlink is going to cover, we, we probably cover faster and better, frankly. Um, so those are the, that that's actually the simplest answer is fast speeds at a fair price in those areas. And then when we think about going into to urban areas, we're talking about consumerizing uh, a lot of enterprise capabilities. So the same things we talked about, whether that's secure logins, just making um, all of those things much more consumable. Like I think about when, when we were talking about the crab fishing uh, use case, it made me think of my air tags. But if, if it wasn't $100, if it was like $15, you could put them everywhere, right? Um, so I think those are the, the dream use cases we want to see. Um, from our perspective, the, those, I think, um, hmm, how would I put it? Having access to the consumer as, as we grow our adoption is, is actually its own killer use case because just like the App Store and Apple did it, our, dr our drive is as we can get 
users logged in, whether that's through the token gating or their wallets activated, they'll also be able to engage with other applications. It's really a, a window into the world, but the first step for us is just getting them onto the network and then the rest will kind of, uh, the demand will kind of drive where things go, whether that's DeFi, whether that's a consumer use case or faster speeds or, or, or what have you. But I think one thing we haven't really talked about is um, kind of how Web3 and crypto has helped us deploy networks a lot faster and cheaper. So when we think about deploying like into Austin or Miami, um, having a model where we can prove that, uh, and this is true for Helium as well, where we can prove the, the node is connected, the speeds are good, the latency is good, and then we can pay out uh, against the node owner and then do rev share without a bunch of administration. It's just all orchestrated via the, the blockchain. That That is a big deal. Like we think about traditional telcos having to hire installers, contractors, what have you. That level of automation is not something you see in um, traditional telcos. And so we, we're living in a new world, both from a consumer standpoint, but also from an operating standpoint. So with that hardware and the Helium hardware, you know, I see, um, shout out to Empire Dow, they're like a co-working space, you know, anyone who has like physical locations where they maybe want to take part in these networks or contribute to the networks in some way, uh, maybe not on the developer experience, but more on the um, hardware side, what would folks need to do to either get involved or get started? I just want to call out that Empire Dow is where I met the Baxis team. Um, and it was like literally the first time I went there and they, they just got super excited about it. Yeah. I actually think that that's something that I, I'm eager to see more of as much as we have, you know, whether that's because of, you know, the, the nature of web three and distributed teams or just kind of, you know, what COVID left us with since 2020 of everybody kind of being remote. And it's still, I think, colliding in physical space is like you have these serendipitous connections and that's why it's been such a nice thing to return to more of the conferences more of the in-person events but i think that just having um the ability to have some of these spaces like empire dow where you know folks working on similar problems thinking in similar principles can you know find ways to connect them you know like i really glad everything came together with Baxis, and obviously just the more that we can have and all uh you know all of us developing in the same space the better yeah we're, we're really just starting to get it back out there. I, I want to call it, we actually just uh, two weeks ago or so did a hackathon on a moving train in Portugal. Uh, so people, we, we had a bunch of sensors and dev boards and everyone just sat down and like dug in. And by the, the end of our trip, everyone was sending data over the network on a moving train, which was just so cool that there's so much coverage in that country. Uh, it made all that work. Yeah, what, what what Joey and Scott mentioned are, are exactly the same thought. You know, as we as we look at deploying into spaces or places where developers meet up, I think back in back in 2010 when I was coming up, hackathons were really like really really becoming a thing. I still remember like New York Tech Week where I think we had like a thousand plus people descend on a random Wednesday or something um, when Twilio would sponsor something, and you know you just want people to get involved and begin coding their first application. Um, I think that's going to lead to a lot of good things. So a lot of our listeners here, I see are from Stacks community. Um, you know, Stacks makes it possible to build things on top of Bitcoin using smart contracts. What are some ideas you guys have about or things you'd like to see where Bitcoin could get better integrated? 
Um, I, you know, I think about maybe El Salvador and their adoption of Bitcoin as a payment. You know, maybe there's connectivity issues there. I have a feeling there are. <laughs> How do you guys think about sort of expanding the reach to to serve different use cases like that or where you think or where you want to see Bitcoin put to work? Yeah, I think I think that confluence of that of the finance piece, whether it's like El Salvador saying, and this is true of all the treasuries, I think something that's happening right now as during the downturn is is most of the treasuries saying, well, let's pause until we know there's something like of very specific um, or proven value either to our community. There's no blowback, low risk, whatever. And connectivity is one of those things that I think everyone can get behind. Um, whether that's using the central treasury or having the community get involved to finance uh, some of the uh, the equipment to be installed, there's there's typically this is getting in the weeds, but there there is some there can be drawbacks depending. Like I'll, I'll use El Salvador as an example, there may be some like last mile drawbacks on like the fiber infrastructure that makes that possible or less possible, but ultimately engaging. Um, a lot of the nations who have adopted Bitcoin, but by definition, if they've adopted it, they are an innovative, they're an innovative, they, you have innovative leadership. And so it's almost like a lighthouse. And this is true in Miami, true in El Salvador. Um, if they want to use it as, a, as an opportunity to, to do digital transformation, um, we've already seen the numbers around the world and how that affects economic development. I think that's a natural place that they can deploy the some of the Bitcoin and that technical side. Uh, we always came into this because um, the people with the same mission and focus on security and decentralization. Um, and if we're going to instill that into the Internet infrastructure, it makes sense. That it would also be uh, decentralized finance that would be um, funding most of it. Yeah, I think that um, that's, again, like underpinning everything around kind of Web3 principles of, you know, censorship resistance and, you know, op open networks and systems. Um, you do need connectivity at the root of this. So the idea that you're giving agency to communities and to, um, to you know, you know, whether that's, um, you know, local governments or anything that is kind of left behind. I mean, the idea of closing the digital divide, you know, it's not, you know, specific to the U.S., it's certainly global. Um, and obviously, as you know, more solutions that are uh, available with respect to like satellite backhaul that are you know, cross-border solutions, um, the idea that anybody can start to deploy this out and have coverage anywhere in the world, um, you know, like that's something very, very motivating for us for sure. Um, so the idea that, you know, underpinning the ability to like create transactions and kind of moving Bitcoins to store of value with, you know, connectivity that could be stood up, um, using something that is web three native, I think is pretty important. Um, otherwise, you know, it's, I, I think I was joking about this the other day of, you know, um, tracking cold storage and having some sort of, you know, smart device sensor to make sure that, you know, same way that gold reserves have trigger alarms. So somebody is, Coming in, uh, manipulating something that's uh, you know, off chain in cold storage. You want to make sure you've got uh, some sort of smart sensor and tracker in there if you know something's being touched. But um, probably more of an edge case than anything that's actually scalable solutions. I think. I think to one thing I'd add is you know we we live in a pretty search oriented world still, even with mobile. Like we kind of have some context aware applications, but we haven't really hit that magic. Um, that magic use case that like knows exactly where you are, what your situation is. We've kind of been leaning on AI to think about that. Um, but I still think there's a lot to be done as, as the, 
the network layer has a lot of that information. It kind of knows, um, it could know your MAC address. It could know what device you're on. It kind of know what time it is and where your location is. And there's a lot more applications that can be built that are, that I think are magical, um, that are moving away from just like, I, I'm telling my computer that I'm intending X, but instead it knows that I want something. I think we kind of experienced that in like the Google versus TikTok version, right? You kind of, it just knows, like it's stupidly addicting, but it does know uh, in some ways uh, how you are. And I think that's that's still a big opportunity as you get access to more data beyond what's available today. I, I want to add one more thing too, just this idea of smart contracts. Like, you know, Helium has been on its own native L1 for a long time. And we're just sort of starting to get this like direct exposure with our migration to a different blockchain um, and opening the whole world of, of smart contracts and all of the cool stuff that happens there. Um, and I've just in the past couple of weeks, have heard all these awesome ideas from people talking about like everything from like uh, data transfer rails happening over smart contracts down to like very simple things like imagine uh, an NFT that somehow changes state based on something happening in the real world or, you know, starting to think about uh, an, a real life Pokemon Go, right? Um, there's exactly. a bunch of cool things to happen there. Yeah, I think we've probably seen, I mean, I, I just use this small example only because, you know, we, we, we talked about smart homes and all these magical experiences that if you have like four applications or you've been an expert home IT person you can get to be just right but it's it's not there yet when you like walk into a pantry and like it per perfectly t turns on it's usually even the most magical experience is like a very manual one that's just clicked on to your your electricity but I think we're moving toward a world where your lights locks thermostats and all that stuff actually works well um, and then having them on a smart contract layer also makes sense as so you start personalizing it and getting more contextual contextual and having those triggers i love that i mean it makes me like I'm, I'm heading to miami for art basel it makes me imagine like having a specific nft in my wallet and entering a physical space and getting a different experience with that kind of connectivity and you know it'd be cheap to deploy you could have it flexible but being able to yeah. tinker and, and um, kind of experiment with an, an nft that only becomes valid if you go to a certain gallery or something right all sorts of cool stuff. Very cool. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm curious, actually, if you guys have other things, maybe just a quick lightning round that maybe it's unrelated to the work that you're doing now, but something you wish someone was building right now that you could go use in Web3. Hmm. As I, uh, oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about so many of these physical infrastructure projects. Um, uh, you know, obviously, I live and breathe helium and am building sensors on this platform nonstop. I'm really excited. Currently, I've been spending my nights and weekends building digital twins in this tool called Spline.Design, and it's like a it's like Figma but for 3D. Um, so hopefully, show some cool stuff there. But then, like other projects, like uh, there's uh, React Network. I think just announced that they're sort of public today um, as is a, a virtual power plant on web3 um, also very excited about hive mapper I'm eagerly awaiting the, the delivery of my dash cam so I'm very excited about this idea of semantic maps and how the uh, collection of map data can be de decentralized um, 
yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. There's, there's tons of cool stuff happening in this space. <laughs> yeah, I think, oh, go ahead. Yeah, one thing that I would, I, going the opposite way. So we spend a lot of time bridging the digital and physical world. And one thing that I've always been hoping for, and I think we kind of get into is the getting out of the app store ecosystem in some way. It's like very beneficial uh, for the ecosystem, but also how do we, the browser, I guess in some ways, like a Web3 native browser um, that, that everyone actually uses. Um, I mean, we have Brave, but I think there's still, there's still a lot of room to improve on the browser experience because it's the universal app store and it's free. Um, it's directly accessible by everybody. And there's this constant conflict. Um, I don't have a solution. I just know I want a better one because in the last app versus web war, war the apps won uh, for good reason. Uh, but that's still something that's on my mind all the time. I think it was cool to like, see Solana launch their, their mobile OS and just people moving up the stacks so moving from the application level to all the way up the hardware level trying to get more control of that um, from the Web3 perspective is, is really interesting to me. Yeah, actually, it kind of feels similarly in terms of the sense of just like, um, you know, more around kind of the, the messaging and communication side where it's still kind of user permission data, um, privacy first. And um, I mean, truthfully, again, kind of feeling where the markets have been for the last uh, couple of weeks, I think, you know, just more stuff that is showing paths to profitability and sustainability is probably the things that I want to see the most right now to kind of like revalidate um, where I think a lot of us are just feeling a little bit de deflated. Um, I still feel incredibly, I mean, my feelings haven't really changed. I mean, this is more of a markets issue than like the fundamentals of like what we're actually, especially, you know, with this group, um, trying to build and the problems we're solving, they're real, they're, um, they've been validated, but I think we just kind of need to continue to see the massive products across multiple industries that are that are showing like the true value of um you know what we can do with this when you have user-owned infrastructure yeah i think using um i think i think about I, i'm glad actually something a word that we haven't said yet but i'm glad exists is decentralized wireless because it kind of brings it all together whether that's helium element eight and other uh, people in the space it's it the whole space actually needs a lot of help because I think it's um, it's a use case that can build consumer trust over the next few years as they think about um, their consumers are much more savvy about security and data privacy um, and decentralized wireless. They're, they're even getting smarter about the types of uh, internet they're on, what the technology is used behind it. And I think um, those are the kinds of things where we can build trust just, just like it took, it did take a long time um, for Bitcoin to to build the trust of the community, but that trust is strong, and it's going to be some of I I believe it's going to be some of the same thing, right? We've we've seen people come and go as the markets come and go because they're not here for the decentralization or security. They may just be here um, for the for the for the run up, and that's okay. Uh, what we have uh, we get interest every time, like customer acquisition when it goes up, and then we. Uh, we keep the believers in the community. Yeah, I definitely try to come at this with the more optimistic scenarios of a, you know, how do we make sure there's, you know, ubiquitous coverage for, you know, the, the idea that ability to 
connect to the internet, communicate with others, access knowledge and information feels like it should be a universal human right in the 21st century. Um, so thinking about how we're solving for that by, you know, giving agency to communities and people that, you know, don't need to rely on large centralized incumbent players. Um, not to say that those you know, those are pure evil. It's just you know it often comes down to like a, a return on investment issue of you know how much do you need to focus on a rural or undercovered or underserved community um, if you're not going to see enough activity from that region. And then obviously there's the more dystopian side where we probably feel less of that in the U.S. But you know when you're thinking about um, more oppressive governments and geographies in the world where you've got things like social credit scoring, where you have to be mindful of how much is um, how much of the society is being censored or shut off from accessing the world, accessing information or being able to communicate out to peers where, you know, you, you have to have something where um, it, you know, it is, it is open and permissionless and can be freely used. So there's certainly both lenses to look at it through. I try to focus on the optimistic side, but obviously we kind of have to build for the downside scenarios. And I think that's still one of the important principles behind, you know, what decentralized wireless is um, here for. Definitely. Thank you. These are these are excellent. I feel like the entrepreneurs here are taking notes where they can go build, where they can go, you know, apply this technology. So just to wrap things up, where can folks learn more? Um, where should they go online if they're a developer, if they want to use your products? Um, what's the best place to send them? Uh, so on the, the Helium side, we've got a bunch of resources. Obviously, helium.com uh, is sort of the main go-to. Uh, we also have an incredibly like active Discord. I think there's like 170,000 people in there. So that is discord.gg slash helium. Um, as far as using the network goes, we uh, at Foundation, we run an instance of the Helium console uh, that allows people to come in and create devices on the network. That is at console.helium.com. Um, there's a bunch of docs, docs.helium.com. It's all in there. Start at helium.com and go out from there. It's all tons of resources. We're, we're not as mature, but we, we will get there where our, our developer documentation, everything will be available. But for now, we're looking for local community leaders. We've had grassroots um, community leaders in Austin and Miami who are deploying uh, boots on the ground. And the second thing we're looking for is uh, telcos or digital infrastructure innovators. So that could be engineers at Colo or, or co-location center data center um, could be at one of the majors but a lot of the stuff that we'll be building will sit inside existing infrastructure you'll have a mix of greenfield um, or new new network deployments as well as um, how we provide the software to existing infrastructure um, you can contact me at jvan at e8internet.com or just dm me you can dm us at this twitter and we're happy to respond Anytime and sooner than later, it will be permissionless. But for today, we're we're in early stages. Well, we're just about time here, so I want to thank everyone for joining. Got Jonathan, Joey, thank you. As you heard, these folks are available. Hit them up on Twitter. Hit them up um, in their Discord to learn more and hopefully build the next Web three internet for all of you.